Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Faith to Go podcast, your one-stop shop for everything you need to have faith discussions with your friends and with your family. I'm Charlotte Pressler, and I'm the Youth Missioner for the Episcopal Diocese of San Diego. And I'm the Reverend Hannah Wilder, and I'm the curate at St. Mark's Episcopal Church in City Heights in San Diego. I'm Demetrius Gregg, Congregational Development Director at St. Bartholomew's Episcopal Church in Poway. And Demetrius, we are so happy to have you here with us today on the Faith to Go podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, and thank you both for this ministry. Yeah, yeah, and I am thrilled to get to know you in this virtual Zoom recording world um, because we have yet to meet. And as a way for our podcast guests to get to know you, would you tell them a little bit about your ministry context? Sure. Uh, So this is a fairly new position here uh, at St. Bart's, and my work primarily focuses on resource development, uh, membership growth, uh, as well as uh, how we invite, welcome, and connect people to different aspects of the Episcopal Church uh, through our IWC framework. Uh, And, you know, one of the things I'm really often reminded of uh, is my own welcome to the Episcopal Church that really informs uh, a lot of my work. So it's something I'm really thrilled to be able to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and now I want to know, what was your welcome to the Episcopal Church? Uh, I do not mind sharing that. It's... um, I first started attending an Episcopal church in my native Baltimore, uh, and as I was being elected uh, to the vestry at our annual meeting, um, this was, I I may have been here for a year, I may have been there for a year or so, um, I had a seizure uh, during the annual meeting. Uh, And, you know, this community that did not know me from Adam was just so welcoming, so loving, so supportive uh, through all of that. Uh, And, you know, that's one of the things that I just think is so unique to the Episcopal Church is, you know, there's room for everyone. Um, And, you know, even if we don't know you, that does not mean uh, that we can't love you and support you and support your spiritual growth. So um, I I try in all of my work for my own welcome to inform how I welcome others. Wow. That was a pretty intense welcome. Yeah, I I probably should have known, um, should have taken it as a sign uh, that vestry work was uh, going to be a challenge. But, you know, nonetheless, when God calls us into ministry, it's very hard to say no. Um, And so then the other question we love to ask our guests um, when they come to join us is, is there a place that you've seen God moving in the world this week? Sure, uh, sure. It's... um, one of the pieces, you know, I try to see uh, God every day through either people or something in nature. Uh, but one of the things that really uh, moved me uh, this week, uh, and I'm sure both of you have followed it, um, is I, I was reading the San Diego Union Tribune, uh, and there was just a horrible uh, car accident uh, near City College that killed and injured uh, a number of people. Um, and in, in reading some of the witness uh, statements, 
uh, there was there was one gentleman who said that he didn't know one of the people that was injured, but it still hurts. And, um, you know, really to be able to see a stranger offer that love, that warmth, that comfort to someone that they don't know, um, that's God at work. Um, that, that is truly God at work. Yeah, that was such a horrific story. I, I was shocked by it. And, you know, just another reminder to everybody to not drink and drive and to stop people because I do believe the driver was inebriated. But, but that's right, Demetrius, we have to look for the, those moments of um, connection and empathy. And that's, that's an amazing quote that you, that you pulled out there. Thank you. Right. And I hadn't actually heard that had been said. I didn't read that specific article. And so that's a gift to me as well. Our connection is definitely a part of our humanity. That's a God sighting for sure. And all of that to say, and I I actually love that we're going to say that we want to hear from you about your God sightings and those moments in which they're joyful and those moments in which they're hard, those moments where your heart aches for another human being and how you see and feel God moving in those. Um, But would you please send us an email? faith to go at edsd.org, or you can get to us on the website, myfaith2go.org, or you can find us on Instagram at faith to go. Um, all of these ways are great ways to contact us, and we would love to hear all of the ways that you are seeing God move in this world. And I would like to name that as we are one year into this global pandemic and our isolation and separation from each other, that if particularly there is a way that you see that thread of connection, that thread of God's love weaving amongst all of us, would you send that? Like that would be so beautiful and so powerful to share with all of us, um, just as Demetrius just did. So thank you for that, Demetrius. Of course. And I think, my friends, that that takes us to the gospel. This week's gospel will be for March 28th, um, which is Palm Sunday. I can't believe it. Um, Lent went by in the blink of an eye. Um, We are in year B, and today we are reading Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through 39. So buckle up, friends. It's a long one. As soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered him, You say so. Then the chief priests accused him of many things. Pilate asked him again, Have you no answer? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further reply, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the festival he used to release a prisoner for them, anyone for whom they ask. Now a man named Barabbas was in prison with the rebels who had committed murder during the insurrection. So the crowd came and began to ask Pilate to do for them according to his custom. Then he answered them, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he realized that it was out of jealousy that the chief priests had handed them over. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release Barabbas for them instead. Pilate spoke to them again. Then what do you wish for me to do with the man you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, Crucify him! Pilate asked them, Why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! 
So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released Barabbas for them. And after flogging Jesus, he handed him over to be crucified. Then the soldiers led him into the courtyard of the palace. And they called together the whole cohort. And they clothed him in a purple cloak, and after twisting some thorns into a crown, they put it on him. And they began saluting him. Hail, King of the Jews! They struck his head with a reed, spat upon him, and knelt down in homage to him. After mocking him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. They compelled a passerby who was coming in from the country to carry his cross. It was Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Then they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, and divided his clothes among them, casting lots to decide what each should take. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two bandits, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by derided him, shaking their heads and saying, Aha! You who would destroy the temple and build it again in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests, along with the scribes, were also mocking him among themselves and saying, He saved others, can he not save himself? Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross now, so that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also taunted him. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. At three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they said, Listen, he is calling for Elijah. And someone ran, filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a stick, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait. Let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. Then Jesus gave a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was God's son. So for the context part of it, um, this comes at the end of Mark's gospel. After this, there's a little bit more that happens, but not very much, basically the resurrection. And before this story, we have the story of Peter denying Jesus three times and, you know, Jesus prophesying his own death. But this is really the culmination of this whole journey that Jesus has been on. And it takes place during Passover, which is the festival where the Jews were celebrating freedom from slavery and oppression. So that's important because you also have Pilate entering the city from the other direction. And Pilate is coming to tell the Jews in no uncertain terms that Rome is in charge. So if you think about that, there's already tensions running high and there's um, expectations on the Jews' part of liberation and freedom and autonomy, and they're celebrating their history of being freed from slavery. So also remember that Rome really clamped down and really took over Jerusalem only about 25 years before this, 25, 27 years before this, in around the year 6. 
So um, people who were celebrating the Passover in Jerusalem remembered the time before, the time mm -hmm. of freedom. But, but I think it's important to note that this is happening in the season of the festival of Passover, which is all about the festival of freedom from slavery. Yeah. Yeah, it's really important to note all of the things that carried us into the place of this story, the context of all of Jesus's ministry, but also the context of the people that were there. Um, and I think that yeah. actually that takes us to the first point, which is Demetrius's, which is a reaction to those people, those humans. No, absolutely. Um, and, you know, uh, this is a dark passage, uh, obviously, uh, when you are uh, reflecting and reading about um, someone's death. Um, and, you know, there, I think there are a few details. Uh, would like to see a bit more detail from Mark, uh, similar to what you see in um, other uh, portions of Mark's gospel, but also Matthew, Luke, and John. Um, but, but one of the things that really stood out, um, if I could uh, focus on Pilate uh, for a second and, um, you know, try to humanize him a bit, um, you know, I, I think, you know, he knows Jesus is innocent uh, and he's, you know, he's not a threat um, as a chief priest uh, would have you um, believe. And I, I think in a lot, of, a lot of Pilate's dialogue with the crowd, uh, we really see uh, his internal conflict um, in, you know, whether he should turn Jesus over to be crucified. Uh, and, you know, and you see this through, you know, should I release the king of the Jews? What evil has he done? Um, and then, you know, even trying to take the intermediary step of flogging Jesus, mm -hmm. um, thinking that that would be enough uh, for the crowd, um, but yet it wasn't. Um, and also, you know, I think the irony of the chief priest uh, really inciting a crowd to, you know, proclaim to crucify uh, Jesus is is really interesting because, you know, they're um, they're doing the same thing that they've accused Jesus uh, of coming to do. Um, so the irony there uh, was really um, apparent. And I and I think, you know, from a practical standpoint, um, you know, there are jealousy and envy, uh, which was really the motivation for the chief priests turning Jesus over to Pilate. I mean, we can see that those can lead to some very dangerous outcomes uh, and lead us just down a really um, perilous road. Um, and I think in light of Pilate, uh, you know, the gospel tells us that, you know, his actions are to satisfy the crowd, mm -hmm. uh, even though he knows again, Jesus is innocent um, and that he has done nothing wrong. Um, and, and, I, and I think that shows for us that the right and just thing to do uh, is not always uh, the popular thing to do. So, um, and, I, and I think at some point we've all struggled with that uh, in our lives. And I, I think uh, in Mark's gospel, we, we see that internal conflict uh, that Pilate is having. Um, and so, you know, while it is a bit dark, I think there is also some joy uh, mm -hmm. that can be uh, found in this. You know, we all, we all know how the story ends and um, that Jesus is resurrected. Um, and, you know, and, and that really and truly is um, the good news. Um, but one of the pieces uh, that also stood out is the centurion. Um, you know, we see throughout a, a lot of Mark's Gospels. Uh, that, you know, there's mocking of Jesus. You know, if you're really the king of Israel, come down from the cross, he can save others, but can't save himself. Uh, and the centurion, you know, this spark of faith 
that's ignited in him as Jesus breathes his last breath, uh, I, I think points us to the very essence of our faith is, you know, we can believe without seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for the centurion to proclaim at the end of the gospel, um, truly this man was God's son, um, I think is something that is really powerful and transformative. Yeah. Yeah, and I love, Demetrius, that what you took from this reading was not necessarily the experiences of the bystanders, because there were plenty of those too, but all of the other characters that weren't Jesus, all of the other people who were who played key roles in what transpired and what we just heard, and considering them as full humans. And, and maybe that takes us to my point, which is actually about that side of Jesus himself. I thought a lot about this this week as we read this gospel, and I am never prepared for how strongly that gospel affects me as I read it aloud. But certainly in this gospel, there is lots of suffering, physical suffering. And I know that Hannah is going to get more into what suffering actually looks like. But there is also a very real experience of Jesus's humanity, at least for me. Um, Because as we all know, Jesus was fully God and fully human. And in this moment, in this moment when he is getting ready to die on the cross in these last few hours and everything that we read, he is treated horribly. He is mocked. He is ridiculed. He is shamed. Um, I mean, the words that are flung at him, and I think it's really interesting because there's words that are said directly to him. You know, do you say you're the king of the Jews? And you can hear the tone. You can just imagine the tone from the text, you know, that's being said to Jesus in all of these. But then there's also these side conversations, which are written down in here, right? Like they talk about the chief priests, you know, turning and saying to each other, let me see if I can find it. They were mocking him among themselves, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross now so that we may see and believe. Well, if they were saying that amongst themselves, but it's written down here, then that means it was overheard, right? And if it was overheard by the gospel writer, it was also overheard by Jesus. And so here he is in this immense amount of physical suffering, still being mocked and derided and dehumanized. And it's overwhelming to me to consider the state of his mind and his heart in all of that. Because I see Jesus is so fully human, perhaps the most human I've ever seen him in this, in this moment. But I also see Jesus as the most fully God Because why else would he have done this for us? Why else would he have suffered this way except for us? And I was thinking about it, and this quote from Brené Brown popped up for me, which is, what we don't need in the midst of struggle is shame for being human. And so here he is in this struggle to to do God's will. You know, the night before in the Garden of Gethsemane, we, we get not my will, but yours. And here he is, and, and he has been flogged, and he has been nailed to a cross, and he is dying, and he is being shamed. And that kind of suffering is so human. It's so deep. And I was just thinking about it, not only just from the aspect of Jesus's own humanity, but of our role 
in when we choose to make those choices for others, when the side conversations that we have that have impact on others, um, the things that we say that cause embarrassment and shame for others, and our call, you know, to recognize the innate harm that those things have. Yeah, and Charlotte, I love that you focused on that verse um, where the chief priests are talking about, you know, save yourself and mocking him because it's actually in him not saving himself that he saves the world, Mm -hmm. that he saves all of us 2,000 years later. So that's pretty powerful. And and Demetrius, I appreciated your focus on Pilate and a little humanization of Pilate because um, in a way it's almost like the ones being the bystanders, you know, the ones on the side who knew Jesus and his mission, which was all about restoring humanity to wholeness, no matter what, with disregard for, you know, the timing and was it the Sabbath or not, you know, but those people who knew what he was about and that said and did nothing, you know, um, I really feel like they're, they're worse than Pilate, you know? No, absolutely. Absolutely. I think we all have to learn not to be just bystanders, mm-hmm. you know, good people who let crazy things happen. We, that's not who we're called to be. So, yeah. Excellent points. Gosh, I have to follow that up with my, <laughs> <laughs> with your um, equally excellent point, Hannah. <laughs> well, I think that it's bringing up for me, you know, the recent Vatican announcement about how, oh, the Catholic Church cannot bless gay marriages because God cannot bless sin. And I'm just just thinking about Jesus and his complete indifference to the approval of those who claim to have the authority to approve or to condemn. And, you know, what would Jesus have thought about this pronouncement from the orthodoxy office of the Roman Catholic Church? It's just to me, it's like dripping, that statement of theirs is dripping with like patriarchy and just like the the people in the position of power that are making judgments on the marginalized and the outcast. And it's like, who do you think you are to be able to declare that? And, and here in this gospel, we have Jesus not dialing down his ministry to spare his own life. He's, he's, mm-hmm. he's committed to it, you know, and, and I think that's our... That's our example. And I just would want to focus, too, on the extreme dehumanization of Jesus that takes place. I mean, he is physically abused and battered. And, um, you know, we have a history of that in our country with racism and lynching and capital punishment and the incarceration of African-Americans in this country that continues. I don't know if you guys have read the new Jim Crow, but it talks about how our policing system and um our prison system, it's the new Jim Crow. It's the present Jim Crow, and we need to reform it. Also that um, Jesus dies alone. And mm-hmm. so Jesus can connect with so many people who have died during this pandemic alone. Uh, I think that that should not be lost on us this year, this uh, this holy week of 2021, when we're still, we're still in this pandemic. We're not quite out of the woods yet. So... Um, it's a it's a difficult time for our country, and I think that as Christians, you know, we profess to follow Jesus, who, um, which means that we need to find solidarity with the crucified, with the marginalized, with the oppressed. That is where Jesus is, and that our attention to suffering is the first step toward wholeness. 
you know, not running from it, not denying it, not acting like it's not there, not shaming people for being in suffering, like Charlotte was saying, but um, paying attention to it and uh, and learning from it, losing with grace, like suffering with grace and letting our losses teach us and transform us because the suffering isn't bad or wrong. Like that's right where we need to be sometimes and that our suffering is God's suffering and God's suffering is our suffering. And that's the beginning of all new life and resurrection. Yeah. Yeah. And Hannah, as you were talking about, you know, the dehumanizing of Jesus, I think that that is something that came through all of the points that you were talking about is that when we treat each other as though we are not of equal value, um, when we name anybody as less than, when we pass judgment, um, for whatever reason that is, whether it be the color of our skin or whether it be if we are LGBTQ+, um, whatever that reason is that we marginalize another human being, when we name someone as less than, that we separate ourselves from God in that moment. We're not called to pass judgment on each other. And and I hear that loud and clear both in this gospel and it's it's how I feel when I listen to those words coming out of other people's mouths. It's that announcement that was so hard to hear yesterday. We don't we don't get to decide what is beautiful and valuable to God. None of us do. None, none of us get to speak for God that way. And unfortunately, when we wield our power that way, all we do is hurt each other. That's right. And in fact, I think that from Jesus's example, if we can extrapolate what God is about from Jesus's example, we would know that our salvation is wrapped up in solidarity with people who are being crucified. And, And let me tell you, like, if you're a young teen in Kentucky and you have been kicked out because you're transgender or intersex or questioning or queer in some way, this statement like pushes you towards greater depression, anxiety, despair, or suicide. I mean, that that is a very real consequence. I mean, this, this statement is not nothing. And it, it's something that I think we need to refute as followers of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Because Jesus would have been the ones with those homeless transgender teens, you know, who are living on the street and just trying to make it just, just because they have gender nonconformity. I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Hannah, you know, what you said, I, I think is absolutely right. And, you know, one other point that I would like to inject in that is that, you know, not all Christians feel this way. Um, and that that's really important for people um, to understand, I can tell you, the Episcopal Church definitely does not feel that way, um, and you know we can't we can't let um, certain sects and certain certain orthodoxy really co-opt uh, mm-hmm. what Jesus is and God's love is about. Yeah. Amen. Amen. That's right. In fact, if you're not standing up and debunking this craziness from the Vatican. What the heck are you doing? <laughs> like, you need to you need to make a statement and let the world know that not all Christians think this way. Yeah, that's that's so true, Demetrius. Thank you. Well, my friends, I think we did it. That's three points. I'm so proud of us. <laughs> 
Um, kind of intense ones today. Huh? I know. I'm going to be processing these through the rest of my classes today. Um, so the first was Demetrius's, and it was about the shared human experiences of those who were in this time with Jesus, of Pilate, of the chief priests, of the centurion, um, and what it was like for them in this, and maybe a more human glimpse at them. Um, the second was mine, and it talked about the very real human experience Jesus had, not just of physical suffering, but of shame and, and what that means. And then ultimately, we transitioned to Hannah, um, who talked about Jesus's physical suffering and how when we suffer, that that is, a, that is our connection to God, but also God's suffering is a connection to us. And a really, really heartfelt naming of all of us right now of what it means to be Christian and to love each other and all of our beautiful wholeness to God. Um, because we are really and truly fearfully and wonderfully made. My friend, my very dear friend, the Reverend Hannah Wilder used that again the other day, and it's my favorite psalm, um, because it celebrates that each of us is made in God's image and that all of the ways that makes us different was intentional um, and makes us beloved and just live into that this week, friends. You are Amen. fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen. Amen to that. Mm -hmm. And I just want to say, Demetrius, I have so enjoyed having you on the podcast today. Thank you for being with us. Oh, no, thank you for having me. I, I hope to uh, come back. Uh, an easier gospel, if you will. <laughs> uh, I'm no, only picking the hard ones that. for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We will give you an easy one next time, like some parable. Um, great, great. You bet. Yeah, because those are easy. Those yeah. are just no problem. <laughs> All right. True story. True story. Um, but until that time, friends, we do want to encourage you to connect with us. Please send us an email, faithtogo at edsd.org. You can reach us through the website, myfaithtogo.org, or you can catch us on Instagram at faithtogo. And until then, we encourage you to read this gospel again, um, share with us the ways that you see God moving in this world, and we say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody.